Bruchem Aboyim, welcome everybody to our weekly Torah podcast. This podcast is dedicated in memory of Herschel Ben David, Mr. Harold Pasternak. This week's Parsha, Parsha Shmos, begins the whole story about the Jewish people and the exile in Mitzrayim in Egypt, leading to the leading ultimately to the redemption and the whole story of Pesach. This begins the book of the Torah, the book of the book of Shmos. And Torah begins, Shmos these are the names of the children of Israel who came down to Mitzrayim. Then it lists them, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, etc. It does seem a little bit strange because we already know that. Earlier, Parsha Vayigash, when Yaakov went down with his children to Mitzrayim, the Torah already tells us they're the names of the, of the children of Yaakov and all the people that came down, the 70 people that came down to Mitzrayim. Why is it necessary to repeat it over a second time over here? So there's an interesting medrash. The medrash tells us that the Jewish people left Mitzrayim in the merit of several different mitzvahs. One of them was they didn't change their language, they didn't change their names, they didn't speak Lashon Hara, there was no immorality amongst the people. It's well known, Chazal bring that three main things though, that did not change their names, they didn't change their language, and they didn't change their clothing. The Medrash tells us, Ruvain, for example, is not called by Rufus, which seemed to have been the Greek or the Roman equivalent of Ruvain. Yudah was not called Luliana. Binyamin was not called Alexander, etc. They kept their Hebrew names, they kept their Jewish names throughout the whole period of their, of their exile in Mitzrayim. And that's pretty much what the Torah is telling us, that they came down with these names, and these are the same names that they kept throughout the whole period in Mitzrayim, throughout the whole 210 years of, of Avdus, of slavery, or the fact that they've been a strangers in a strange land, they maintained their names that entire time. They also kept their language. They kept Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, throughout that period of time. We also, also see that they did not change their clothing. Commentaries say later on that Hashem promised Moshe that when they would leave Egypt, that they would they would take they would take from their neighbors, from the Egyptian neighbors, they would borrow the clothing and different types of silver and gold, and they put the clothing on their children. And the commentaries point out if they're borrowing clothing, why don't they wear it themselves? Why do they put it on their children? The implication is that the clothing that the Egyptians wore would not have been appropriate for the adult people, adult males or females to wear. It wasn't it wasn't Jewish type of clothing. Therefore, they're able to take it, they can cut it up and use it for their children, or they would have put it on their young children. But it wouldn't have been proper for them to wear it themselves because they maintained a Jewish mode of dress, and this wasn't a Jewish type of clothing. Now, it's interesting that these three things that are oftentimes brought, they did not change their names, they didn't change their language, and they didn't change their clothing, do not seem to be that important. Elsewhere it says they didn't, they, that, that they that they didn't, they, mean, they didn't practice immorality in Egypt. But it seems that idolatry, they did serve. By Kriyas Yamsa, by the crossing of the sea, the Medrash tells us that the Malachim, the angels, told Hashem, These people serve idolatry, and these people serve idolatry. The Jews and, non, and Jews, non-Jews and the Egyptians both serve idolatry. So why do the Jewish people deserve to be spared any more than the Egyptians? So it seems idolatry was something that they did sin. And that's considered a very serious offense. 
How is it possible that merely because the fact they didn't change their names, which is not a prohibition, there's no prohibition for a Jew to have a non-Jewish name, or the fact that they kept their language, there's no prohibition to speak other languages, and for that matter, even clothing. As long as the clothing would would have been modest, there's no prohibition in wearing a non-Jew's clothing per se. So why is it that the merit of these three things specifically that the Jewish people were allowed to leave Mitzrayim, they're allowed to leave Egypt? It struck me that perhaps we can explain it as follows. After the Jewish people were down in Egypt, it seems initially they had gone to Goshen, which is a suburb of Egypt, a suburb of Mitzrayim. The Pasuk tells us that Yosef passed away and his brothers, an entire generation passed away. And their children, the children of Israel, were fruitful and they multiplied and they became very many. And the land became filled with them. The Medjish Tanchuma on this passage tells us what does it mean, the land became filled with them? That at some point, the generations after the brothers had passed away, the next generations, they wanted to be able to go outside of the ghetto in, and where they had lived in Goshen. They wanted to be able to visit the places in Egypt that were available. They went to the Egyptian theaters and circuses, the Medrash tells us, to the extent the land became filled, the entire country. There were Jews, that there were, the, the doors of Goshen had been opened, and the Jews visited and frequented all different types of places of entertainment throughout Mitzrayim. That was the first step into the exile. The Jewish people were specifically and deliberately left in Goshen. Yosef had them put in Goshen because it was necessary, he felt, for them in order to be able to maintain their identity, to be able to remain in a ghetto, to stay apart, so to say, from the Egyptians. The following generation, however, the people they itched to leave the ghettos. They wanted to be able to see the world, the big, great, wide world. They wanted to be able to frequent the places where the Egyptians went for different types of entertainment. That was a dangerous. That was a dangerous step that they took. And immediately after that, the pasuk tells us that a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Yosef, and he told his nation, he told his the children, he told his own the, the, the Egyptians, "I'm concerned because the children of Israel are more numerous and stronger than we are." And therefore, Havan is Chakmala. We have to make some kind of a plan, Pen Yirba, lest they become so numerous, that in case there might be a war, he may join ranks with our enemies and throw us out of our own land. So it was after Timole Eretz Osam, after the Jewish people left the ghettos, after they, they flexed their muscles, so to say, and started, going, started traveling around the land like everybody else. It was at that point in time that the, that the exile took a step into becoming a little bit more difficult. It became harsher. It became something they would have to, something they would, that they would suffer. That's the understanding. That's the concept itself behind Golas. The Golas, in some ways, is meant to be able to push the Jewish people to keep our identity. Indeed, that's one of the explanations behind anti-Semitism, the commentaries tell us. Anti-Semitism is, is in, in some ways, is a tremendous unifier of the Jewish people. When the enemies of the Jewish people come against us, they don't distinguish between different types of Jews. The Jews that are more religious, Jews that are less religious, Jews of this stripe, Jews of that stripe, is just against Jews. 
And when we realize that, that itself inspires us to become much more unified, to become become a single unit, to work together. It's for that reason that that was necessary for them to be able to maintain their same maintain their Hebrew names. It's true. This may not have been an obligation of sorts. Nevertheless, it was something which was important because culturally speaking, this is what gave them a certain sense of identity. By keeping their Hebrew names, by keeping the names that they were given, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, that itself was important for them in order to be able to help them maintain, to remember who they are. We're taught a lot about names in the Jewish tradition. The Hebrew word for name, shame, is actually the center letters of the word neshama, a soul. Neshama is nun, shin, mem, hey. The two center letters are shin, mem, which is shame. In other words, the name defines the essence of the neshama, of the soul of a person. That's where you find so much that there, so much thought that went into names. In biblical times, the Torah tells us they would name people after different occurrences. Yosef, for example, named his two sons, Ephraim and Menashe. Menashe because, you know, Shaniel came by Savi because I've forgotten the home of my father. He wanted to be able to serve as a reminder. It was important for him to be able to remember the house of his father. And, if, and if he, Ephraim, because he's expanded, he's expanded me to be able to enjoy, the, to be able to become more prosperous in this strange land. We find this is Parsha similarly too. Moshe was named Moshe by the daughter of Paro. Because because I drew him from the water. Moshe comes the word to draw him. Moshe named his children Gershom and Eliezer. Gershom because because I was a stranger in a strange land. Eliezer because Azri, because the, the God of my father was at my assistance. The names are very important because they define our essence and they allow us to be able to remember certain things, to be able to take certain things to heart. And therefore, when it talks about the fact that the Jewish people maintained and kept their Jewish names, what that means to tell us is that even, again, it may not have been an obligation, it may not have been a mitzvah per se, but it was something that was an identifier. It was something that they were able to connect with that would be a constant reminder of who they were, be constantly something to be able to remind, remind them about the importance of maintaining their identity. And it's the same with the language also and the clothing also. These things are minhagim. The purpose of a minhag is different than halacha. Halacha is something which is an obligation, something which, we, which, which, which connects us to Hashem. But the purpose of a minhag is a little bit different. The minhag is, allowed to, is something cultural. Minhag, the purpose of a minhag is to allow us to be able to behave in a certain way, different than other people. We find the rabbis made many different ordinances, rabbinic, rabbinic ordinances, to prevent too much socialization and fraternization amongst other nations because they're concerned that it might lead to it might lead to intermarriage. For example, Stam Yenam, the wine of a non-Jew. For example, Bishal Akum, the cooking of a non-Jew. These different types of things were the purpose and the, the meaning behind them is in order to be able to that we should be different. We should be set apart to some extent. Because the concern is when we have some, when we stand, certainly, obviously, we have interaction with non-Jews. Also, certainly, we live in other countries. We're supposed to be patriotic to our countries, but we have to remember there has to be some kind of a division, some kind of a, some kind of divider. It's necessary for us to have something that keeps us apart from the other nations of the world, because only when we're kept apart, then we're able to maintain our identity, even in the face of assimilation. 
So it's true, the Jewish people left the boundaries, left the walls of, of Goshen and began to mingle in Mitzrayim. And it was for that reason itself that it was necessary for them to be able to strengthen themselves in the areas that would be able to make a marked difference between the Jewish people and the other, and the other nations. In order for them to be able to feel I'm different. I don't dress like my neighbors. I don't talk like my neighbors. I don't have the name names as my neighbors. This is a constant reminder. That's why, it, indeed, the Pazit tells us in the beginning, Yosef that Yosef died, even when he was, di- even at his deathbed, despite the fact that power had called him Tzafnas Panech, and that was the name that he had been known through Egypt. But when it came to, when it came to his final day, Yosef. It was Yosef that died. He maintained the identity as Yosef all of his life. It wasn't a Tzavtas Paneach, the name that Paro had given him. It was Yosef. That's the importance of here. As soon as you go into the exile, right away it's important for us to remember. These are the names of the people that came down to Mitzrayim. Remember this name that was given to us. Remember to keep that name. And that indeed, Throughout the 210 years, these were the names that they kept. And it was in that merit that they left Mitzrayim, they left Egypt. Have a great Shabbos, everybody, and a great week. Ever think about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.